Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. God bless you all. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. The most important thing you're going to do today, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Word of the Lord, right? The Word of God, anointed, God-breathed, good, perfect, holy, for repute, reproof, correction, rebuke, all of it. So good. And we get to enter in and just, man, I, you know, we, I heard that song a minute ago and it was talking about, you know, we're kind of praising and you, know, you go in deep. I think it's in Ezekiel. It just reminded me of, you know, you go in the water and it talks about how, you know, he's going to cross over and he goes into the water and it gets deeper. And at first it's at his ankles. Do you remember that? And then it becomes up to where his knees and then up to his hip up here and then eventually to the point of where it'll come and consume him. And when it does, where does he end up? It says that he's brought to this place of land. Where is that land? Have you ever thought about that? I encourage you to read Revelation again. You'll find out where he's brought. You know, even when we fear, it's that beautiful paradise, that love that God has before us, heaven that awaits us. We're heaven bound. This is not our home. We're passing through, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Does anybody need a Bible here this morning? Raise your hands if you do not have a Bible. I'll have one of our ushers or elders hand out a Bible for you. Everyone's got their Bible? Good. All right, thank you. Well, as we look here, as we've been going through chapter 5, we've received the assurance of the resurrection, Paul drawing to that. The light of the gospel, he left us very um, matter-of-fact in verse 18 that we were given a ministry, a ministry of what? Reconciliation. Do you see that in chapter 5? He says, now that all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. That is the God that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their testimony or their trespasses, should I say it that way, to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation, the gospel. Now then we are ambassadors of Christ as though as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in him. That's who we are, new covenant believers. Let's take a moment, bow our heads. Let's ask the Lord to lead us here this morning and then be ready to be racked by Jesus. Father, we just thank you for your holy word, Lord. We certainly worship you, Jesus. We worship you, God, our Father and Holy Spirit. We thank you that in all things we can come to you, Lord, our living water, our light, this light of the world. And that, Lord, the darkness and everything that's of this world, Lord, has nothing to do with us, and we have nothing to do with it. Lord, may we continue to walk in this light. But, Lord, maybe somebody here's lost their way. Lord, maybe we've gotten tired. Lord, maybe we, we just need a fresh filling here. So, God, I pray your spirit, Lord, would pour out unto all of your people here this morning, that we would come in here and be refilled, refreshed, renewed by the working of your word in our hearts. Transformation, Lord, that you would transform us right now. Jesus Christ, I ask that, Lord, you'd have your way in us, that we would go in head deep, Lord. We, wouldn't, we would no longer wade in the water into our ankles or our knees, but, Lord, we would go full in, and you'd bring us Lord, to that everlasting life that awaits us through the resurrection. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. Good to see you all. You are very much loved. Loved by the God Most High, loved by me, and loved by each other. You know, it's good to be in the body of Christ, isn't it? It's good to be among the saints. Well, as Paul is speaking to this church in Corinth, church that has had its share of sin, you know, suing each other, sexual immorality, getting drunk at the communion feast table, certainly we're not ignorant to that. Paul has taken the second letter and rather chose to refocus 
his ministry with them on reconciliation, which has always been the ministry, right? Christ and him crucified, but also focusing a ministry of love. You can't have truth without love. And you can't have love without truth. It's not one or the other. It's the fullness of both. It has to be that way. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's not our ministry. We don't get to do it the way we want to do it. We're subjected in submission to the living God. And so he says, we then, after making this incredible declaration, we have been given this ministry of reconciliation, ministry of love. That's real love, isn't it? Wanting to reconcile to God that which once was reconciled, but because of sin nature has lost. But now only to be reconciled again through Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, and how he loved us. He says, we then, so we, Paul, certainly Titus, the ambassadors, everyone that's a part of that, but also the church at Corinth, and the church at Calvary Chapel Harrisburg today in Camp Hill, right? All of us, we then, as workers together with him, with Jesus, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We need to look a little bit at the Greek terms here. They're very important here this morning. If you've got a notebook or you don't, there's notebooks in the back, there's pens. I encourage you to, to grab one, but please take some notes in the margins of your Bible if you'd be willing. Plead, this idea is not... Uh, many of us think of the English translation, plead, I beg you earnestly. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying in the Greek this idea, it's an infinitive mood, okay? It's of the aridest tense in the Greek. Let me explain what that means. It's simple, it's strong, and it's right to the point. It requires immediate action. In the Greek, that's what's connoted by this. That's what's brought in. It's strong, it's an exaltation, and it includes encouragement. So when he says, I plead you, he says, I am coming to you now, and I'm desiring that you would believe like I believe and pursue this work of reconciliation, of drawing those back to Christ. He says, I plead with you not to receive the grace. Then he also says, look, not that we receive the grace of God, right? We'll look at... Um, 1 Corinthians 15.10 for a minute to understand a little bit about what Paul understood about this grace. We, we could spend all morning on that. But if you'll allow me a minute, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's look at verse 10. Paul began to understand. Do you, do you realize we have to come to that place in sanctification that we begin to receive that grace? Initially, in our immaturity, there's a lot of legalism. There's a lot of law in us, a lot of law and order. And certainly our God is a God of commandments and statutes. We don't want to miss that, okay? But certainly we cannot proceed in these things without the love of Christ and therefore a grace that abounds in us. Look what Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul didn't draw it to himself as though he's arrived and somehow he's better than someone else or when someone else was doing something that he thought uh, was a little bit immature for that believer in Corinth. He didn't turn around. No, he says, look, I understand all of this. But rather than I draw attention to myself or I, I become to act, you know, hold myself in a higher esteem, we're warned not to think more highly of ourselves or ought of ourselves than we should. He says, no, he says, I am what I am because of the grace of God and his grace towards me. It was not in what? Vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God did. It was never about Paul. It was about God in him and what he was doing. Do you see that? More abundantly than they all, yet but not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Amen, amen, amen. The point is the gospel went forward. Reconciliation was presented through love and grace that way. And what did they do? They believed because they didn't turn around and thump somebody. Their very lives were dedicated to being invested in others. That's the great commission. Love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others I say better than ourselves. God said as ourselves. You see, this is what Paul's drawing it back to because otherwise we might take it for granted. 
We might take that grace of God for granted. He says, don't you take that grace of God in vain. He he says, don't act as though there's no purpose of it. There's a purpose of the grace that you've been given, right? And what is that purpose again? Because he pleaded with them. It was to exhort. It was to encourage. It was to turn around and be intentional. For he says, and this is beautiful what Paul does here, In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. You know what he's doing there, right? He's quoting Isaiah 49.8. This isn't just any passage. This is a messianic passage. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 49. We're going to camp out there tonight, or this morning, excuse me. We're going to string some pearls. When you begin to look at what God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah, right around 700 in that area, um, B.C., If you go to Isaiah 49, this speaks of Jesus and his mission. Now, Paul brought that into, you know, spiritual 2020 in front of that church in Corinth through his epistle, through his letter in 2 Corinthians. He's reminding them, he's bringing them into this that they may understand. And if you allow me, I'm going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 13. It's very powerful. I encourage you to go back and study the book of Isaiah in chapter 49. We'll also see him quote chapter 59, by the way, another messianic passage. But look at verse 1. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you people, from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. Who's he talking about? Jesus In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. You see the difference there? I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. What's he saying? And he says, well, and now the Lord says. Do you see that in verse 5? That was Isaiah as he brought that forward. This is what I'm saying. But now, what does that mean? And now God's going to say, now let me help you understand. You think of a Job moment with Isaiah, okay? Even though it's speaking of Messiah. You remember Job? Lord, why? Oh, Job, I can explain these things to you, but you still won't completely comprehend it because my ways are higher than your way. So, but you know what, Job, I love you, and I'm going, to, I'm going to try to comment. Do you understand the behemoth? You know, and he starts going through the creatures, and boom, mind blown, right? We're wrecked by that commercial. Boom, right? Well, now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant? To bring Jacob back to him. Wow, wait a minute. So that Israel's gathered to him, You mean God has a plan for Israel today? Do you mean that God has always had a plan for Israel? Have you ever heard of something called replacement theology? Have you heard a lot of the church still today teaching a false doctrine where they're saying that Israel, well, more specifically, the church has replaced Israel in Scripture? Oh, it's it's being taught out there. It lies from the pit of hell. False doctrine. And we're in these last days, so we know we're going to see more and more of it. But they turn around and they try to say, this is why Israel is no longer, you know, part of God's plan, because they failed to receive Messiah. They missed their chance. Well, what is God going to say prophetically in Isaiah? Because the best commentary for the Lord and the Word of God is what? The Word of God. He says, to bring Jacob back to him, to bring Israel back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him for I shall be glorious in the eyes of my Lord. Now, I want you to hold it. I told you we're going to string some pearls here. So take your other finger and stick it in this chapter, and I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 11, verse 26. Romans chapter 11, verse 26. And so, all Israel will be saved as it is written. God's not done with Israel. God's not done with Israel. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. 
If you remember, Paul was saying God's not done with Israel. There's still a plan, and God's uh, going to redeem Israel. They will cry out. They will, you know, yell out, help. And when they do, Messiah will be there to redeem. As a matter of fact, it's what ushers his, in some ways, his response to them, because he's always been there if they would just call out to his name and say, Lord Jesus, be my Lord and Savior, just as he was for us. Amen? So he says, look, he says, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away the ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's, you know what he's quoting there? Isaiah 59. 10 chapters ahead of where we were. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable. What does that mean, friends? That means that God's promises, God's callings are irrevocable. There is no such thing as a nonsense of God is done with Israel or, quite frankly, done with you and I. God has work to be done in this city, in our lives. We'll turn back to Isaiah 49, because he's describing how he's going to redeem Israel and has desired to do so, and he's done the work on the cross at Calvary, and we, we are partakers of that already. And Jeremiah 31, 31 speaks to that faithful promise and covenant. Now, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing you should be my servant? We should not despise the days of what? Small things. Have you ever looked at something in your life and you think, Lord, this is a small thing you've placed before me? What do you do with that? Are you quick to turn away? Oh, that's just a small thing. What if it's a a stain in a carpet? What if it's a, a stain on our hearts? Is it a small thing that we would turn from that? Or does God teach us that when we are faithful with the small things, that he will then what? Increase and add to those things. It's always amazing to me that men often walk in churches, and maybe they're just there for a few weeks, and they always want to speak to the senior pastor, so they'll call up and or say, can I have a meeting? And many times, not as that every time, it does happen, they'll come in and say, uh, brother, I'm here to help you. And, and, and that's always wonderful. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're here. And then they proceed to tell me how they think they're to help me. And as I listen to them very closely, it sounds a lot like they're telling me they're going to help me to retire and that they have a better word, and that God is going to draw them up here to the pulpit to begin sharing the word because they're highly anointed. But when I ask them, what about the custodial ministry? Oh, that's not my calling, brother. Or what about the cleaning of the floors, or, or maybe the ministering one to another, or children's ministry, because we always need help in children's ministry. Solid teachers willing to teach the word of God, not man's wisdom line by line and verse by verse. Oh no, brother, that's not my ministry. Okay, so you mean to tell me that God is going to contradict his own words when he says that he will never send a man to step on another man's work, as Paul had written. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. It strikes me. God is so faithful, but he begins often with the small things. Don't despise the day of small things. Maybe the Lord is calling you to ministry. Praise the Lord for that, right? But are you so busy thinking about the time where you're going to hear your name or how you're going to lead a thousand to Christ? But you despise the small things? Maybe going to a widow or an orphan, which isn't any small thing, by the way, but maybe in some eyes it is and you sit down with them, and you cry with them, and you smile with them, and you let them know they're loved? Don't despise the small things. God works through the small things. Jesus himself, is it too small a thing you should be my servant? God, Jesus Christ, the servant who came to serve and not be served, is it too small of a thing? I say not. 
He says, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. And then he tells us a prophetic promise here as well, another one. And we've already seen this fulfilled, and it's being fulfilled before our very eyes. I will also give you, who's you? Jesus, as a light to the Gentiles. He says, I will give you Jesus himself. Do you realize what this is saying, friends? The Old Testament saints never received Jesus inside of them. I want you to think about it. Did they pray to Jesus to come live inside of them? Or what does Hebrews chapter 11 tell us? That their faith in God was accounted to them for what? Righteousness. They were saved because of faith, right? It's always been by faith in God. Old Testament saints. But New Covenant, New Testament saints, we have something fundamentally different than what Adam and Eve even had in the garden. We read nowhere in Genesis 1 through 3 that Jesus Christ came and indwelt and lived inside of Adam and Eve. If anything, we read that God did what? If you want to talk about a Christophany, God did what? He would walk with them hand in hand in the cool of the day, walking by them physically. I mean, physically in the garden, spiritually that way. But you and I today have Jesus Christ actually living in us. His Holy Spirit as well has sealed us. We read that last week, right? Do you know how many believers don't understand this? That you actually have the living God living in you? And that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit? Now, I, I asked last week, who can break the very seal of God? You'd have to be more powerful than God, and nobody exists like that. Because God is eternal. He's not made as the angels, lower. He's not made as humans. No, he's eternal, always existed. Right? That's real love. That God of the universe would dwell in us. Now, that, not only that, but go back and study your Old Testament. Wednesday nights, you're all invited to come out. We study the Old Testament. We glean so much on Wednesday nights for the Old Testament. What does it say? It says that the Holy Spirit was given back to Moses when it would be poured out, for example, uh, to his artisans those that were going to craft the tabernacle and make the beautiful things. They were given the Holy Spirit, and then when the work was complete, the Holy Spirit was removed. Or Saul. You remember Saul? The Holy Spirit came upon him, but then he walked contrary to God, and what happened? The Holy Spirit was removed. King David, go back in your, your scriptures, read. The Holy Spirit came upon, but it wasn't like the Holy Spirit where he indwells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 6 say to what? Say today to us what? He comes inside of us individually, and then also the Holy Spirit is present as the body of Christ gathers, chapter 6, corporately. Corporately like that. Or it might be four and six. I might have had, you know what I mean, though. Corporately and individually. Either way, he's coming in us and he's dwelling. And Christ is dwelling with us. That you should be my salvations to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord to the Redeemer of Israel, the Holy One, to him who men despise, to him who the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. And he has chosen you. God has chosen you this morning. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. Didn't God choose everybody? Yes, he did. He chose all of us. He desired that none should perish, right? John 3.16. But why did he choose us? Why did he choose Israel? We, we were told it's not because of their reputation or anything special of Israel that way. In an acceptable time, here it is. This is the passage that we just read in 2 Corinthians. And this is what Paul's bringing out. In an acceptable time, this is prophetic, 700 plus years, 760 to somewhere be specific, years before this was actually to come to pass as we read Paul writing it and basically declaring today is the day in which the scripture has been fulfilled. 760 years, God prophetically gave this word through the prophet Isaiah. In an acceptable time, as I have heard you, in the day of salvation, I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant people. What covenant did he give? The new covenant. In him, Jesus. To do what? To restore the earth. To, re to reconcile. Do you see that? 
to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages that you may say to the prisoner, go forth. So what does God do? He sets captives free. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. He brings them into the light. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on the desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun strike them, for he who has mercy. Speaking of future things that await, even the springs of the water, you will guide them. I will meet each of my mountains, a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these from the land of Sinem. And what's the right response? Sing, O heavens. Be joyful, O earth. And break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people, and I will have mercy on the afflicted, as he tells us. You can turn back to our passage in 2 Corinthians. So Paul, in context, as he was stringing pearls, Paul was stringing pearls, he was showing us that what he says this in verse 2, in an acceptable time I have heard you in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Paul is saying... This was Jesus's mission. This is our mission. And he's saying now is a timely, this is the time. Today is the day of salvation. And it's being fulfilled before your very eyes. That's what Paul is saying here. Because he says it right there. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold now, today. For you and I, today. Today is the acceptable time. You woke up this morning. You had breakfast. Your feet touched the ground. The Lord brought you here today to hear the word of God and be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. To study. We're intelligent beings. We're to study the word of God. Have we engaged in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have we begun the ministry of reconciliation? Well, when we walk out of here, what awaits us? A harvest that is white and ready. But there's a problem, God said. The laborers are what? Few. Boy, I see a lot of laborers right in front of me. Between this and first service, at least a couple hundred. Praise you, Jesus, how he's gathered his laborers. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry should not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Now, this is important. What Paul is doing here is he's going and basically saying, look, we give no occasion for stumbling, um, nothing that leads others to sin. Our lives are those living epistles he talked about. We're, we're walking in righteousness in Christ because we don't want to give an offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, right? That it'll fall on our ministry that way. But in all things we commend, what's that word mean? That actually means to approve or to prove out. Again, think of a mathematical formula and you want a proof for it. This is what this is describing, that you may prove. What's that proof look like? Well, look at what the proof Paul gives. He'll use the word in 10 times here, 10 times, circle it. It's very particular as the Holy Spirit gave this to Paul. But in the things we approve or proof ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. What is that? Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. In tribulations, not the great tribulation, but difficulties, tribulations. In needs, in distresses. What are these describing? These are describing sufferings. These are describing sufferings, right? In stripes, in imprisonment. In tumults, what, are, what is that? That's the, the idea of common to war and the confusion that goes on with war and the, the, the fighting and what have you. He says, even in that, in labors and sleeplessness, in fastings, what is Paul doing here? In, 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 ten times. What, what is he doing? He's giving you a curriculum vate. What's the word we use for that today? It might resume, right? But what does curriculum vate mean? It means courses in life. Vate, life, courses in life. Paul's saying, what's the spiritual pedigree? This is the courses in life. This is, this is what Paul boasts of, chapter 11. Right? These aren't worldly things. Stripes, beaten, imprisonments. Labor, sleeplessness, fastings. Then he says, by. Look at, look at here, verse he, He's going to go on and say, by, right? He says, by purity. 
by knowledge. That word there is understanding. By long-suffering. We love long-suffering, don't we? Our God is so long-suffering. We love it when God's long-suffering. But when we have to be long-suffering, I don't know. Right? Man, I'm terrible at that. You know, I got to come home from, uh, you know, Lee calls me up, say, hey, honey, pick this up on the way home at the store. We need a, you know, last minute uh, ingredient. You walk in the store, you go, well, one thing. I don't know why. I get behind the, it's, it's me. I get behind the slowest person in line. I, I, I don't know. I don't, it, have, it doesn't matter the store. I've, I tried many stores. I could go on a whole digression on this. But it happens every single time. And I, it's like I'm there with one thing. And the, what's the Lord do? You know, I'm, oh, Lord, you know, I got to get out. Lord, I've served you all. You know, and Lord's like, really? You've arrived, huh, buddy? And he's so, he's so careful to prove out my heart and humble me. You know, humble me. And, and then all of a sudden, oh, Lord, that's right. Second Corinthians, it's the work of the reconciliation, the work of ministry I'm to be doing here. God, I don't know why I thought that's a switch. I turn on and off. I don't ever turn that off. Everywhere I go, everything I do, every conversation I have, am I drawing someone to Christ or away from them? Am I demonstrating love in everything I do? Or do people walk away feeling like, wow, you were really brash. You were just, you were really, you were like sounding timbled, you know, or clanging brass. Did I walk away encouraged even if I was corrected? Because God goes in and corrects, but he encourages when he corrects, doesn't he? He's always loving. Even when he spoke to the Pharisees and Sadducees, there were times he needed to be direct, but he was loving in how he did it. Nobody walked away. They were offended, but they were only offended because of their own pride. But not offended because he spoke so harsh to them. Although he did at times need to do that. But long-suffering, kindness, by kindness. And what are all these things? Where did all these come from? By the Holy Spirit. By sincere, without lacks, genuine love. That's agape, that word. By the word, lagos, right? The word of truth. By the power, dudamus, of God. By the armor of righteousness, on the right hand and on the left, speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. By honor and dishonor. Now we see something happening here, and he's going to move over to as in a minute. But what he's doing now is he's comparing to a report. There may have been a report there in 2 Corinthians uh, that maybe some were saying, well, you know, Paul's really dishonorable. But this guy we got, he's very full of honor. He's, he's a much more honorable guy. We should listen to this apostle that we've raised up because he tickles the ears, and he's really honorable because we like what he has to say. I believe that was what was going on in Corinth. Paul had alluded to that many different times in 1 Corinthians and part of 2 Corinthians in the beginning. And he was going back and he has a love for them, but there were these false teachers there that were declaring themselves to be apostolos, right? apostles, sorry, the Greek term. They, they, were, they were calling themselves to be what? Apostles, but they were not apostles. What are apostles? Sent ones by God. But they were more interested in drawing people to themselves than drawing them to Jesus. So who were they sent by? Their own lusts of their heart? To draw people to them? This is highly convicting to me as I read these things. I have to run my life through the good scripture. When I read these things, oh boy, Lord, I really like the way that sounds. I like to hear my own voice. I look at a picture. I like to find mean the picture. Lord, increase so that I can decrease. I can't do it myself, but I want to do it, and I know the only way I can do it is if you increase, Lord. Increase so I can decrease. So he goes in, and now he starts to say, you know, by honor and dishonor. He's comparing that. By evil report and a good report. In other words, they're calling it evil, but it's truly a good. Then as he's going to say six times as, as deceivers, and yet, what was he? He was true, wasn't he? He was true. Do you see how he's going back and forth? He did the same thing when you look at verses 7 through 15 in chapter 4, when he said forsaken, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. He did the very same thing. He compared and contrasted that way so that they could clearly see the dichotomy. As unknown... Well, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, 
well, Paul, who are you? We've never heard of you, or, you know, we've seen you because you were our pastor, but we, we, you know, we know this guy on the TV, and man, look at it, you know, all these people must be listening to him. He must be way more important and more, more right than you are, Paul. I mean, look, they got, they, he's got 50, you know, thousand selfies. He's got, you know, 100,000 likes. He's got all this going on, but, but a deceiver, but known as dying. And behold, what? We live chastened and yet not killed. Have you ever had that experience where you said, man, I can't do it anymore? Honestly, has, has everybody had that experience where you're honest and say, I just can't do it anymore. I, I'm trying to do it in faith. I'm trying to walk this out, but I'm overwhelmed and I just can't do it. Well, good. You, you finally realize God can, but in that moment, are you still here? Are you still alive? You are. God sustained you, didn't he? God's the one that is the keeper and the giver of life, isn't he? And he's the one that sustains you and continues to sustain you. He is our sustenance. It gets our eyes off of the outer man and more focused on the inner man, right? That's what's going on here with Paul. You're not killed. There's still work to be done. He's comparing the world versus the biblical perspective. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, and yet making many rich. Many look upon us and say, well, you're poorer. You don't have a lot. Yes, but I am rich in spirit and rich in heart. And no one can steal that from me. Having nothing, and this is important and powerful, yet having or possessing all things. I'm lacking nothing. You lack nothing as believers in Christ. Because all the things that are important, God has poured out and given to you. Salvation, reconciliation, sanctification, and glorification. Already poured out and given. So now... He turns, and I could see him saying, you know, picture this. Turn on the video in your mind for a minute. Oh, oh, Corinthians. Oh, brothers and sisters. You know, you could say, oh, would you know this? I, God, I love you. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open, transparently saying. We've shown you these things. In other places, we don't read of anything like this in, that we read in 2 Corinthians where we have this open heart and this willingness that we do. He says, nowhere else. He says, we have been so open in showing you everything. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections, by your own lusts. You've ensnared yourself. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to the children. Now, and by the way, in the verse 12, that word restricted means hurt. Let me just say, you're hurt in yourself because of what you see. Because of your lusts. Your lust is what hurts you, not us, not the word of God. The truth doesn't, the truth sets free. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open, just as we've been open. Now, he's going to go through and he's going to talk about this idea of being unequally yoked. We need to be careful and understand and take this within context what he's saying, because this is not saying that we can't have friends that aren't Christians. Many have taken this in a legalistic way and tried to apply this. Partly it's because they don't know the Greek, and they don't know that there's multiple words for unbeliever in the Greek. Just like in English, we can say things a couple different ways in context. Context determines the hermeneutics of what we mean. Context is king, right? That's why I encourage you all to come out for... Uh, Pastor Bill's going to be leading that study starting in April, that... Um, inductive Bible study. That's where, that's where we learn. That's what we're doing. We're in, we're, and it's an inductive Bible study. That's what you're going to learn, how to read your Bibles, how to let the Lord speak to you, exegete rather than eisegete, reading in, allow the Lord to pull, you know, it comes out, rather than us mere reading our perceptions in here. Well, he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion is light with darkness? And what accord is Christ with Belial? That's another word for Satan. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? That word there, unbeliever, is, it speaks to one specifically that is a rejecter of Messiah, a rejecter of the Christ, the Savior, the, the God. 
That's how he's describing the unbeliever. So one who's purposefully and rightfully rejected. Now, how do I know that? Because in context, he's even going to spell it out. What does God have to do with Satan? And what does a temple where, or a church where going to a place where there's idol worship, right? He, he's clearly contrasting the two. An idol worship isn't a place where they're crying out, believing in Jesus, are they? No, it's pagan worship. And what this whole idea of unevenly yoked, where does it come from? Well, if we go back to the original, uh, you know, idea behind this, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 22, you can see, because this is where it was at one time under the law that was given to Israel. Again, new covenant believers are no longer, you know, we're not under the law. But if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 9, we'll get this idea, and it was tied to a pagan practice but it's the idea of, you know, a seed, you know, what was going on in that day. He says, you shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest you yield of seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be, what? Defiled. I did that, not in the spiritual sense. I was in my garden back in New York, right? And I had a tighter space to work with. And I remember planting some squash. And then like right next to it, I planted zucchini. Got the wonderful fruit of that right? Took it to church, you know, went to Calvary Chapel at the time up in New York, Finger Lakes, and I brought it in. I put it on the table. We used to have a, a table for a bread ministry, also a table for fruits and vegetables that people wanted to bring in to share one another with the body of Christ. Um, and I brought it in, and that night I went home, and I thought, boy, you know, let's have some zucchini or some squash tonight. We'll grab it. We grabbed one that was on the counter. I began to cut it up. It was a squash zucchini. I'm not joking. I, I, I was like, I, you, I couldn't have tried to do that. And I read this passage and I was like, amen, Lord. I defiled that fruit. I don't know what I did. What's the deal with broccolini? That's messed me up for years. What is that? Broccoli and then something. I don't know. We got to stop messing with the people that, look, if you mess with fruits and vegetable and you're like, a, don't do that anymore. Leave the broccoli alone. Right? Leave the broccoli alone. All right. Anyway, the tangent. Back, back to where we are. Pagan practices. These were pagan practices at the time. That's what he was describing. So when we go in context, what he's saying here is he says, don't have anything to do with that. Don't be unequally yoked together with someone that's rejecting Jesus Christ. He's not telling us not to go and sit down with unbelievers. We can sit with unbelievers with a specific mission in mind. What was the mission of Jesus Christ as we read in Isaiah 49? To save the Jews and to do what? Reconcile them to God. What was he going to do with the Gentiles? To save the Gentiles, right? And do what? Reconcile them with God. If we have the same ministry, Jesus Christ did it when he was physically on the earth, sat, ate with sinners, but the purpose was to do what? Reconcile them to God. Do you see that? It was the very same thing. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, those rejecting Christ. For what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? This is important. Turn in your Bibles to John 1.5. We're going to string a few more pearls here this morning with our time remaining time. John 1.5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light, because the deeds, or because their deeds were what? Their deeds were evil. How about chapter 8, verse 12? Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Do you see how he's contrasting the two? He's saying you don't seek after the darkness when you walk in light. What does this mean? It doesn't mean, again, we're not trying to convert or share the gospel with those that don't know Christ. Certainly he died for all, and we want to be available as vessels to do that. But what it does mean is I don't need to go into a bar, get drunk so that I can relate to somebody who's drunk to then lead them to Christ. That's not biblical. I don't need to smoke dope so that I can talk to somebody that's smoking dope and say, look, this is sin. Clearly, I want to draw you to Christ. I don't need to walk into a club where men and women are undressing so that I could turn around and save them from that wicked and idolatrous nation and generation. No, I can wait till they come out. I can invest in their lives, get to know them, invite them to breakfast, 
and begin to know them and you know love them and minister to them and then draw them to the word of God that will set them free. But I don't have to turn around and go to a rated R movie so that you all come out of the movie and see me and go, oh, so pastor says one thing and then he does another and lives that way. Because what's that going to do? That's going to stumble some people, isn't it? Now, do I have liberty to do that, Lo? Yes, I do, as long as it's not sin, right? As long as it's, it could be a movie on history or war, a documentary. I love, you know, war movie type history. I love them because they go through and they, you study history and what's happened in our country and other countries. And, but I don't like the language and I don't like some of this, you know, graphic, you know, so I, I'll run it through a filter that filters that stuff out. I'll wait for the DVD. But do you get what I'm, I'm getting at? I, I, I don't, you wouldn't want that. You won't judge my heart, but you would see that and you'd go, is he walking in light? Is he all right? Paul's drawing, there's a clear dichotomy. You don't want a monkey with the gray. They came out with movies a year ago, something about gray. Remember the shadows of gray, whatever they called it, you know, shades of gray. Oh, what a uh, bunch of junk that was. Any, what happens when you take light and you try to impute a little or bring a little darkness into it? What do you get? You get a shadow. You get gray. When you try to take light, which is wholesome, and you try to impregnate that light with something that's dark, you get gray. God didn't ask us to compromise and get gray. I mean, we're living in such interesting times today. The, the whole idea, I mean, you think of the universities. We dropped our, our son off at a university back in uh, September. Some of you know he's, he's at school. He's in architecture program, the whole thing. He, literally, we dropped him off. The first thing we had to do, they had an RA, and we looked at the door. And it says on the door, I like to be called her, she, her, you know, pronouns. But then there's a door right down the hall, and you look at it, I like to be called he, she, they, it. And I thought, so does Legion. All right? Demonic. Now, I didn't turn around and tell my son, you stay away from that person. No, you know what I said? I said, remember, son, you're the salt and light. Jesus Christ lives you. He who's in you is greater than he in the world. You don't need to be afraid. But what you have is a ministry of reconciliation, son. You've been given a great opportunity. So I don't want you to compromise, but I want you to be able to give a testimony in a true light. When that person comes up, get to know that person. Be friendly to that person. Love them where they are because they're going through a lot right now. They're confused. We never would have had this. 20 years ago, biologically, we looked down, we looked out. We know who we were. There was no confusion in that. We still know who we are today. But today, for the first time, because of relativism, and not absolutes, and not wanting to go to a standard like the Bible, the moral compass. People have begun to come up with all kind of loony ideas of things, you know. It, I don't want to know what the next hypocrisy or delusionment will be. But we're living in the last days, and, and the stakes are high. And if there's somebody that's struggling with that, and you invest and you get to love them and know them, and then you know what? You draw them to truth. And they get sent free. You know, some of you know Old Bridge. You know, uh, it's not too far for us in Jersey. Calvary Chapel, Lloyd Pulley over there, the pastor. He actually did a conference. He has a ministry over there. I've talked. The ministry over there has to do with um, those that have come out of homosexual lifestyles. And you talk to the men and women, and it's amazing. They have been set free. They don't want to go back to the mire and clay of confusion, of depression, and all of the things that have followed them and affliction. They, they're like, wow. This is what it is to walk in the love and ammunition of our Lord Jesus Christ in the grace. And I praise God for that. I, I don't know, maybe the Lord will begin a ministry like that here in this area because we, we're seeing more and more of it today. More and more of those things. And we need not to walk away afraid. You know, I walked in a Target with my wife not too long ago. I think I shared some of the story. And this guy wrote, I am a woman on his forehead. And he's an employee there. And my wife went up and she did a double take. She was like, sir, may, may I, or yeah, because he was a, he's a man, right? And he says, I'm a woman. He says, sir, can, can I, can you tell me where the fans are? And he turned around and he says, I am a woman. And she went, and I could tell she was trying to compose, compose, right? Have a moment of composure, you know, because she wants to be loving and not be like. <laughs> so I could tell that was the moment. So she turned around and she's like, oh, thank you. And I, and I, all I wanted to do is go up and just say, sit down with me. 
I'll pay your wage for the day. I'll take it out of my, sit down with me. What's going on in here? The confusion that you must be facing to be so outwardly to try to define yourself by sex rather than a child of God, that that's the delimiter for you? That of all the other things you could be identified, it became sex for you? My heart broke. But unfortunately, I wasn't long-suffering like I should have been that day. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. And he's calling all of us to do that. He's calling all of us to do that. So, So we need to be... The light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but, but have the light of life. And again, he's not telling us to Bible thump people. He's not telling us not to talk to people that are living in sin. He's telling us through our love and example to be available to draw them out of that. Well, what about Ephesians? Well, let's go to 1 Thessalonians just for time. We, we're kind of getting to our time here today. 1 Thessalonians uh, let's see, is it five, five, and this is speaking of the day of the Lord. You are all the sons of light and the sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And then Ephesians um, five, let's look at verses eight through 15. For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and having no fellowship with an unfruitful work of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak to those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest in light. For whoever makes manifest in light, therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We're different. We are different. We've been bought, blood bought. But Jesus was the perfect example for us. When he came and caught the woman in adultery, did he look at the woman and go, I cannot believe that you did that. And I can't believe the guy did that and you enticed him. How dare you? No, the religious leaders were more than happy to come and berate that woman that day. Was she in sin? You better believe it. Absolutely, she sinned. Was Jesus more interested in pointing out her sin? Or was he more interested in redeeming her from the sin? He turned around and he said, after the accusers, which of you has never sinned? Oh, man, I never thought about it that way. Let him cast the first stone. Oh, so God, it's not us in comparison to other people. Like, I'm doing better or you're doing better than me. But it's all in a standard. When we look to you, Jesus, we all fall short of the glory of God. And it's by grace I am what I am, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Wow, that chip just fell right off my shoulder, didn't it? That pride just melted away, didn't it? And now what remains? As I turn and I look to that woman, as Christ said, where are your accusers? Go sin no more. Don't do this anymore. Don't live this way. I have a better plan for you, a better purpose. She heard that that day, and I believe she was saved. Not just physically, but spiritually. John 3 saved. Because she saw somebody that loved her, invested in her. And when everybody else wanted to just destroy her and rip her down, what do you mean you're doing this or that? Don't you know we're not to have? Didn't you read 2 Corinthians? We're not to be the light. Or didn't you read Ephesians chapter 5, 8 through 14? Don't you know? First of all, I wasn't written it yet. But don't you know? Bible beating them? No. That's, that's the problem we have today. We have more Bibles, and people are biblically illiterate, and those that are literate often want to hurt and destroy rather than set free and redeem. We don't compromise ever, ever, but we must walk in love. 
We must walk in love. Turn back with me and we'll finish up our passage here for today. And what accord as Christ with Belial, or what part of a believer with an unbeliever, one who's rejecting Jesus, as I mentioned, that's the use of this Greek term here. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Do you remember that? 1 Corinthians 6.19, as God has said. Now, I love this. He says, I will dwell in them, and I will walk among them. He, this was prophesied, Leviticus, right? Chapter 26, 12, Jeremiah, chapter, what is it, 32, and Ezekiel, chapter 37. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Not separate like the Anabaptists, separate, where you need to go off and form a colony. But what's he talking about here? He's, he's talking about the idea of you're in the world, but not of the world. Wait a minute, pastor, that's not in my Bible. Well done. It's not in your Bible. But the biblical axiom is, it's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. If I turn to 1 John, and I'll turn there just for time for time's sake, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the biblical axiom for where we get in the world, not of the world. Okay? But he's, he's telling them, he's saying, look, Come out from among them and be separate. Don't go back to the flesh pots in Egypt. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch which is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. Abba, father, we sang today. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 2 Samuel 7, 14. Therefore, having these promises, did you catch that? Paul even knew what they were. And they're ours as well, promises. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, and the spirit. Wait a minute. What? My spirit? This is actually the word pneuma in the Greek, pneuma, which can connote either the Holy Spirit, definite article speaking of the third person of the Trinity, that's pneuma in the Greek. It can also be spirit as in like soul conscience, or it can actually be like your spirit, that which lives on in intercessory prayer when we pray. It's our spirit praying in, with the spirit of God in because God is spirit, right? That's what this pneuma, what it's talking about here and more aptly points to is the soul. He's saying the conscience. He's the wrestling, remember? Do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5.16, right? By doing what? Walking in the spirit, Right? So he's, he's, he's drawing us. He says, now here's what we do about it. And this, if I could say it's our rational spirit, it's our soul. That's the word there. Perfecting of holiness in the fear of God. Paul, why did you throw that in there? What do you mean the fear of God? Well, I'm going to invite the worship team, the, the musicians to come forward. We're going to close with this. Turn to Proverbs 8.13. I know you thought, well, pastor, I thought you were done a minute ago. Look at Proverbs as the musicians are coming up. I'll just draw you something really cool. We talked about this sometimes on Sunday night prayer at 6 o'clock from now on. It'll be at 6 o'clock. On the fourth Sunday, we'll gather and people will bring their Bibles and they have questions. And I'll take any question from the Bible anywhere and people have an opportunity to ask questions. And I'll just open my Bible and we'll go through them and we'll address whatever questions the people that have questions come in. And one of the last questions we just had this last Sunday, which brought it to top of mind, was what is the fear of the Lord? What does that mean? It's talking about a reverential fear, right? So what is he talking about? Well, turn to Proverbs again, chapter 8, and look at verse 13. It ties in perfectly with what Paul's saying, and I believe this is what Paul had in mind. Proverbs eight thirteen: The fear of the Lord is to what? Hate evil, pride. Ooh, he does not like pride. And arrogance, to think more highly than we ought, the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. He says, counsel's mine. Sound wisdom is mine. Do you see the difference between what's God's and what looks an awful lot like me and mine? Right? God's perfect. So what he's saying here is, look, perfecting holiness in reverence of God. And what has Paul been just telling them? Because they are a new creation. Remember when he said that in Chapter 5 there, he says, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Uh, behold, all things are, have become new. Verse 17 of chapter 5. What is Paul saying to them? 
walk away from that unrighteousness. Walk away from all of that and be set apart to be holy and walk in God. Amen? Can I invite you all to stand? We're going to worship our Lord and Savior. We'll close in prayer with this last song here. Father, I thank you for the privilege, Lord. It is a privilege that we have your word and to be able to study it, Lord, as you've taught us line by line and verse by verse. Thank you, God, for that living example you gave us when you went into the synagogues and read the the scroll of Isaiah to teach us, Lord, how we ought to every jot and tittle of your counsel, Lord. I pray, Lord, you seal this in our hearts. Lord, thank you for the work you've done, and thank you that we are a new creation. Thank you that we have victory. Thank you that you encourage us as you had encouraged Paul, that our circumstances might be dire at times, but our victory is as real as it was, Lord, when you completed that work on the cross. You are the ancient of days, and nothing ever changes. Thank you, God, for that promise. Can we lift our voices to you now, Lord, to hear our praise and our worship of you, the one true and living God. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed, amen.